Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off your first purchase. It's also brought to you by Frank and Oak, where you can get an outfit, a pair of pants and a shirt for just 59 bucks right now. Head to frankandoak.com slash first dash time. Sheila Hetty. Hi. Writer of books. Yes. Essays. A journalist of sorts, I guess, when you interview people, you're yep. a journalist. Yep. Okay. We're going to be talking today about this ongoing uh, dumpster fire of the Stephen Galloway affair. Yes. And we are going to talk about the CBC. Not the CBC. Yes, the CBC. Welcome uh, for the first time to Candleland Shortcuts. Thanks. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Shamina Shrava, Kent James, Sam Bull, Jeff Robertson, Cowboy Smith X, Anna Lucia Cota, Isabel, and Bruce McCormick. Bruce, why did you decide to be awesome? 
because the media has an inherent bias and uh, your show helps me understand the bias and understand the work better. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. I've enjoyed your many different iterations of your website over yeah. the years, Sheila, and you can just sit there silently as I say that I think that you would have an easier time making your very creative portfolio website for your endeavors as a writer if you were to use Squarespace. It is uh, the easiest way. You can just pick a beautiful template from their gallery and plug in your own information. And they have amazing support. And that's something that people forget is they just want to get their website up. But there's going to be problems with your website. And with Squarespace, you're not calling some web developer who you haven't spoken to in two years. No, they have 24-7 support. Their customer care team is all in-house. They will help you with whatever you need to do, e-commerce, whatever. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANADALAND. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Sheila, which one of us is going to like summarize the Stephen Galloway story? Why don't you? I'll try, and if I get any of the details wrong, you'll help me out here. I, I think I've got a bit of a handle on it, but the thing is that this story has so many unknowns, and so much of it happened in secrecy that it's 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 hard to get a clear picture. Uh, but Stephen Galloway uh, is a novelist and was the head of the creative writing program at UBC. It's a very respected program, and he lost his job, and it was very murky to figure out why, but what the university said is that they had been investigating him and pending the results of the investigation. I think they said something, uh, serious allegations or something to that effect. And they also said in their statement that anybody who had concerns or any information about him should come step forward with this information. 
all of which created an atmosphere of a lot of suspicion about what this was about, but they didn't provide any further comment uh, citing privacy concerns. This past June, they got rid of him, but they didn't say that it was as a result of the investigation. It was after the investigation concluded, but they didn't say that that's the reason why. So everybody was left to guess, and this all happened in a climate of, we were having this conversation in this country about sexual uh, assault and harassment, and a couple of the, I think maybe three at this point, of, of people who have accused him of various types of impropriety have come forward to talk about it a little bit. He hasn't talked about it at all. He's not allowed, I suppose, the union. That's he, something not, I'm really curious about. Yeah. My understanding was that he wasn't allowed to talk about it. That suggests like an NDA, like a non-disclosure agreement. And people sign non-disclosure agreements when they say, we're going to give you a big chunk of money to go away, but you're not allowed to talk about it. The reports on this is that they fired him without any severance pay. How can you stop a writer from talking about something like this? That part has never been clear to me. And none of the reporting I've read on it has given me a clear explanation. But I want to kind of finish the summary to include your role in this because in response to the UBC's handling of this, Joseph Boyden, very well-known author in Canada, penned a letter of protest that was signed by just about everybody, like a who's who. If there is such a thing as a canlit scene, a canlit posse, then you were rolling deep with names like uh, Margaret Atwood and Jan Martel, David Bismosgus, David Cronenberg for some reason. It goes on and on. Over a dozen of you have since taken your name off of this letter. Why did you sign it? Why did you take your name off of it? Let me take you through the process. I got an email from a friend of mine, Lee Henderson, who's a writer whose name is also on the list, who's a friend of Stephen Galloway's. He wrote me a letter uh, saying, we have this petition um, where we're going to ask UBC to have an independent investigator into how the Stephen Galloway case was handled. Would you sign? There's lots of other writers signing it. Then Joseph Boyden emailed me. So my context for looking at the letter was like, here's a favor for a friend. My friend wants me to sign a letter. Are you friends with Stephen Galloway? I met him 10 years ago. He's not a friend. I've never read his books. I have no feelings about Stephen Galloway. <laughs> my feelings were for Lee. So I'm not saying this in any kind of like this justifies it sort of way. I'm just saying this is my thought process. My friend Lee is asking me for a favor. Can I sign a letter? Because his friend was treated unjustly by UBC. Did you believe that he was treated unjustly by UBC? I didn't think signing the letter was saying anything except this was a bad process and this needs to be investigated further. And I, from everything I'd read, from knowing how badly most sexual harassment assault cases are treat are, are like handled in this country, and I'd say beyond this country, I thought it was very plausible that they did a bad job. If everyone that I know is saying that they handled this case badly, it seemed very, very plausible to me. And from all the stories that I'd read that they'd handled this case badly. And if it sure looks like they handled it badly. Like, I mean, there's not much dispute about that. Yeah. So, so this letter was to say, I, the undersigned, I, Sheila Hetty, think that there should be an investigation into how this case was handled. I thought it was very plausible that the university handled it badly. So I have to say, like, I had some reservations about signing the letter, but there were just like bad feelings in my body. I didn't think carefully enough. So this is why in the end I took my name off the letter because it wasn't as though I'd sat down, thought about it for three or four days. <laughs> you know, I thought about it for about a day. There was a big rush to get the letter out. 
it was very hard for me to say no to Lee, who was in distress about his friend. And it's very hard to say no to the text of the letter. I mean, the text of the letter is there wasn't due process given to this guy. And I think that that's very plausible. And if there wasn't due process, there should have been due process. So I signed this letter, but with some hesitation. Then when all the anger began... um, Can you describe that? Because we haven't even mentioned the accusers yet. So the letter really focuses on Stephen Galloway. I think it's even called... Um, Stephen Galloway deserves, what's it called? An open letter to UBC, Stephen Galloway's right to due process. Right. This is a letter about Stephen Galloway's rights. Yeah, so this is a letter about Stephen Galloway's rights. Once it was posted on the internet with like 90 signatures, let's say, about 90 signatures from prominent writers in this country, I think very legitimately people began to say that this letter, they use the word silence, the word that I would put who it is, it faces, it faces the existence of the women that complained. Because the letter has one sentence where it mentions that also the complainant should have due process too. But really the focus of the letter was due process for Stephen Galloway, right? So when I started hearing these complaints, it was like, oh, of course. If I was a young writer, if I was a complainant or not even a complainant, just somebody looking at this letter, and I saw all these writers putting their names down to say, Stephen Galloway deserves fair treatment and no mention is made of the women, that is hurtful and that is not helpful. It looks like all these Canadian writers with all this power are ganging up in support of their friend Steve Galloway. And so the optics of this were incredibly insensitive. So here's the thing. I don't think that the text of the letter is wrong. Of course, Steve Galloway should be given due process. Everybody involved in any kind of suit should be given or any kind of litigation like this should be given due process. But the real question is, what is the effect of a letter like that? And the effect has been more, caused more pain than anything. And, you know, I realized in retrospect, I was thinking about this yesterday, knowing I was going to come on the show. Like you, I'm still sort of in some way from before the internet age. So when I'm getting a petition to UBC saying, UBC, please, you know, investigate this investigation and see whether it was fair. In my head, I'm signing a letter that's a petition to UBC. It didn't cross your mind that this would be a public document? I didn't visualize it on the internet as a public document that everybody would be seeing. I didn't think, oh, the women that complained are going to see this. It's not that I thought they weren't, but I just thought this is a petition to UBC. You know, but of course, like if I had thought about it longer and structured it in my head as this is a public statement by the Canadian writers to everybody in the world, we want Steve Galloway to have justice. I think that that would have been a very different picture in my head when I signed the letter. Oh, my God, this is going to be read and thought about not just by the powers that be at UBC who have made a mess of this case, but by everybody who, who's who been reading about this case. Yeah. I appreciate you coming and talking about it. And I think you just being candid about like it just didn't sound like you've thought it through. No, and I and I, I think that at first I really regretted signing it because I was like, I'm now involved in this terrible mess. But actually, I've come to think like, even though it's caused a lot of grief and time and, you know, my name on there hurt people, I'm actually sort of glad that I signed it just because I could have gone through this process of thinking about it all this week, talking with lots of people who are involved in the case in various different ways. And like in the future, just right, you have to be slower. I mean, there there is an opportunity to to think about just sort of like how complicity happens and how 
you know, critics like who would say like, oh, you know, you're just, it's just a pack mentality and you're all speaking with one voice. And in a sense, you're sort of corroborating that saying like, yeah, it was, a, it was a favor for a friend. Yeah. There's people who might not be generous to accepting your apology when you think about like, I mean, even if you get beyond like, oh, these are my literary heroes and I'm also uh, an aspiring writer, but just to the extent that like novelists are like the conscience of a society to the extent that these are the people who are supposed to be the most thoughtful, the most considerate. And anybody who's been in a position of accusing to have this kind of like uniformity of condemnation from like we, the consciences of the country, have all gotten together to decry the great injustice that these accusers have done. But let me just away, so- which is not I, I think that, that, that that's how it was read. I mean, that's a really interesting word, like uh, the conscience of the country. And a conscience is not a perfect individual. A conscience is a process. It's a thinking, reflecting Consciousness. Yes. So you make a gesture when you look around. Actually, this was the wrong gesture. This is why I took my name off the letter, because I realized, actually, this is not what I wanted to say. I don't want to say I care more about Stephen Galloway's right to due process than I care about these women. And if signing the letter is communicating that, then as a conscious, evolving, thinking, changing, you know, individual that I'm saying this was a mistake. And I'm not actually necessarily asking everybody to forgive me. The reason I came on here was to show like, yes, there's all these implications to a gesture that you do in the world that you hadn't thought about before. Yeah. And when you realize what the implications are, then you might want to say, actually, that's not something that I I stand behind anymore. And this is maybe the distinction between like a politician, you know, figuring out policy and having to take a position versus an artist or a thinker whose job is, I think, to, to work this stuff out in public, yeah. you know? The fact that you're that you're on this show that hashing this stuff out is maybe more germane to, like, what value a writer has. I need to implicate myself here, by the way. There is a case going on right now. It was reported this week in The Post and The Star that our former colleague, Andre Domiz, is going to be on trial. He's facing three charges of domestic assault from his uh, ex-girlfriend. And... These situations put everyone on the spot, and I got the calls for comment on this, and part of this, the decision was sort of made for me because the privacy law that exists between employer and employee, I'm just bound from, from, from talking about anything that I would know in that context, but just to provide the no comment didn't feel right, and, and like, what message do you want to give out when this stuff happens? McLean's, who've been working with Andre more recently, they said something to the effect of, well, he's a freelancer, he's not on staff here, and we have zero tolerance. And so what do I, like, what I said to the star when they asked me, do you have any further comment on this? And I, I just said that we have to take women really seriously when they come forward with this stuff. And it's it's so hard to accuse. Uh, it's a very serious thing when somebody accuses. It's, it's, I think, very rarely done flippantly. And I hope that it, both parties get justice and, and that there's a fair and open process. I don't know what the right way to handle this, especially when you're talking about companies and private institutions and universities. It seems clear to me that UBC fucked up in if you were bound by the law from saying anything about this, don't insinuate and drop little hints that destroy the guy's reputation. I don't like secret courts. You know what I no mean? One like, like that, that's no one does. That's not how things are supposed to happen. I mean, the thing that that I thought was sort of suspicious is they – they didn't tell Steve Galloway what he was being investigated for or fired for for four months. Like, that is a nightmare. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, because of the secrecy, all we... How do I put it? Like... We don't have the facts. It's all by proxy. It's it's his people. And then 
uh, people getting angry on behalf of him. And, and then on the other side, I've been hearing from some of the, the women who've come forward and they're written about in the Walrus, they're written about the Globe and Mail. They come to me when the press gets it wrong. And the press keeps getting it wrong. It's all through these interlocutors. No one can speak. The women can't speak. Steve Galloway can't speak. The people that were at the university can't speak. Like, no one can speak. I don't know why Galloway can't speak. I think it's a choice, not a fact. This, I'm just speculating here, but I think that there will be lawsuits to follow. And I think he's looking towards that as opposed to the court of popular opinion right now. But the other thing is, like, I assumed reading the letter that the women that were involved were unhappy with the way that the case went. Very unhappy, yeah. But we don't know that. Like, what if they were happy and we ended up signing a letter saying, the UBC did a horrible job here. Yeah. Well, here's here's something that, that just was brought to my attention by one of them, uh, by Chelsea Rooney, who uh, has come forward as one of the complainants. First, it was written about uh, in The Globe by Marsha Lederman, and then Margaret Wente quoted Marsha Lederman I should say she completely misquoted Marsha Lederman. And let's get into this for a second here. Here's the original quote when Marsha Lederman was writing about this. Ms. Rooney is feeling heartbroken and ostracized from people in the literary community who she says have belittled her complaints. And then she quotes Chelsea Rooney. I thought I was going to be a novelist and that I was going to go to literary festivals. And then this happened. Then that same quote pops up in Margaret Wente's column in which Margaret Wente, like Margaret Atwood, likens what happened to Galloway to a Salem witch trial, you know, in which women were killed. But anyhow, all of us exaggerate to make our point sometimes. But here's what Margaret Wente, how she uses that quote. Some of Galloway's accusers say that his abusive behavior has ruined their lives. I thought I was going to be a novelist and that I was going to go to literary festivals. And then this happened. Former student Chelsea Rooney told the Globe and Mail. So Chelsea, Chelsea Rooney never said that Galloway's abuse, first of all, it doesn't sound like she ever said that anything ruined her life, but to whatever you know, negative that she thought her life was going to go one way and it's gone another way, she said that with reference to two things, as she's put it to me. The investigation has fucked up her life to some extent, and the treatment from her literary community has fucked up her life. Margaret Wente says this crybaby feminist, this fainting feminist, I think is how she put it, says that the abuse ruined her life. Oh, please, I roll. And they've since, in a little editor's note at the bottom of that, said, well, actually, that's not what she was talking about. And I've used a lot of words to describe Margaret Wente's various transgressions, but that one just uh, is scummy. It's scummy. Yeah, and I think the more important thing than Margaret Wente, who I don't... <sighs> I don't even want to dignify with the response. The more important thing is what Chelsea's saying, which is that she now feels that the writers who have signed their name to that list, either taken them off or kept them on, that they are a cabal that will somehow be against her if she speaks out against the letter. I don't think anybody has their name on this letter to say we don't believe women. I know. Well, I mean, Margaret Atwood... It was pretty bad what Atwood said. Atwood's point was that... Men lie and women lie, which I understand from her point of view. Of course, that's true. Sure. But in the context of a sexual assault case, that's not what you want to say. She also said, if it's a question of rape, then the cop should be involved. Very dismissive and, and with no recognition of the shockingly low complaint and conviction rate in sexual assault cases, the reasons why it might not, the cops might not be involved. Or if it isn't rape, uh, there's all sorts of other things that are, are pretty, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it's as if her opinion was, was in a bubble where we don't live in the world that we live in, where these things are as difficult as they are. I don't to... think she does live in the world that these people <laughs> live in. And I, I don't, and I think, how old is Margaret Atwood? I think if you're 
70, 80 years old, it is a diff- you did grow up in a different world with different values and a different paradigm. It's, yeah. it's, and I think, it's, I think it would be a huge paradigm shift for her, I think one she sh- should try to make, to see what people are actually so upset about. Because for her, it's just a very simple case of justice has not been served. I usually feel like when something controversial happens and, and there's just like tons of editorials and takes on it, and our, and our friend Catherine Burrell wrote a response of her own to the joint letter I think you helped her with. Um, yeah, her original <laughs> letter was very different. <laughs> um, usually I would say, this is good, we're talking about this. And yet, for all of the analysis and opinion and name-calling and everything, when we don't have the facts... Like, we just don't have the facts. But it's not our job to have the facts because my role as an independent citizen or as a writer is not to say who's guilty, who's innocent. Like, that is not my role. My role is to have as broad a perspective on everybody who has been involved in this as possible. I think the pain this has caused to the literary community in Canada is is feeling like we all know what the other person is thinking because of signing the letter. Like what I'm seeing on Facebook is actually sim- simply that. These people have caused me pain by signing the letter. We got to listen when people say that. And I completely, completely agree that this letter has caused pain. I was talking with Joseph and I said, is there going to be a new letter? Are we going to rewrite the letter? Are you going to take the letter down? And he was like, there's going to be a second letter. I haven't, there hasn't been another letter. Like, why does this letter still exist? Why is this letter up? Why isn't this letter given to UBC? Like, I don't understand why the criticisms that have come forward are not changing the letter. It yeah, wasn't a compassionate that's a letter. That's a good question. Why, why, not just, why not just make something that's a bit more even-handed? I mean, it, it, unless that is just It was just intention. a very insensitive and ham-fisted. Like, there was nothing sophisticated about this letter. And One of you guys should have found a good writer. Yeah, exactly. Mostly what I, what I hope that young writers who are hurt by this can somehow see is... Not this block of writers that's like friends with Stephen Galloway against the women. Probably a lot of people are keeping their name on there because they're feeling bullied into taking it off. When you call somebody a rape apologist and you're like, X, whoever signed the letter is a rape apologist, take your name off the letter. That's going to make a person just like be like, I'm not taking my name off the letter. No one wants to be bullied into anything. The conversations that I participated in on Facebook that were so useful and so productive were the ones where people were saying, this hurt me for this reason. I did this for this reason. Just really communicating because nobody wants to cause pain. None of these people want to cause pain. And as a, as a writer, your job is to see as many points of view as you can, as many go get into as many heads as you can. So I can get into the head of Steve Galloway. I can get into the head of the accusers. I should have gotten to, into the head of the accusers before I signed the letter and thought, these people are going to read this and they're being left out. But I think the way that it was presented, it was just like this person's having injustice done to them. When you hear that somebody's having injustice done to them, you want to say, like, there should be justice. Okay, Sheila, this is the time on our show where we take a moment to note duly some things that uh, have popped up in our news feeds and our social streams this past week that were not related to Stephen Galloway. I'm going to start. I had uh, previously talked about a series of stories that were a collaboration between the Toronto Star and the CBC where they were trumpeting that they got top secret access to RCMP case files that revealed that the RCMP are completely hobbled from doing their jobs because they can't decrypt 
computer uh, encrypted communication. And to just deal with this very quickly, essentially it felt like these articles to me were a series of RCMP police propaganda, part of a lobbying effort to give the cops more spying powers and some very disturbing ones, including uh, forcing internet providers to store everything we send in case the cops ever want it, which like somebody else can intercept and get a hold of that or the cops could abuse it. And we've, we're living in an age of like rampant cop abuse of surveillance uh, mechanisms like that. So to build that is very dangerous. And also like the idea that you should have to like, if the cop is like, give me your password to decrypt this message, you are potentially uh, incriminating yourself. And that's like a basic right. That's like in the States, that's the Fifth Amendment. And here we have the same thing in the charter. Ultimately, you're going to end up in front of a, a court and we do not have to incriminate ourselves. So None of that was really mentioned in these pieces. There was a poll in one of these pieces where they asked Canadians questions that were very loaded. Do Canadians have the right to complete digital privacy? And of course, many people said, well, no, we don't have the right to complete digital privacy. And should police be able to compel someone to give up their encryption or passcode as part of a criminal investigation? People said, sure, without getting into the finer points of that. I was very, very critical of these stories, but I didn't need to be because the Toronto Star is now very critical of these stories. Strangely, there's an editorial from the star. And the problem with editorials is that these big series of top secret access stories are all like front page news and the editorial is sort of buried in there. But here's the Toronto star with its like official voice saying Ottawa should be careful on expanded police powers. The cops are saying that that getting your internet user data from your provider is just the same as looking up who owns a license plate. But of course it's not. That's like the key to everything about you. And the cops really, you know, they, they can show us 10 cases, but that's not like proving that there's a massive problem preventing them from solving crimes and, then, and, they're, and they're hobbled. And that is in direct contradiction, not just to like the tenor of the stories earlier, but the headline, the deck, the sub headline to one of the original stories was in the digital age with antiquated laws, diminishing police powers, a high level of criminal activity can operate beyond the law, which is like a de- de- declarative statement that is consistent with the cops lobbying. Well, the Toronto Star has now negated the Toronto Star. And uh, I felt that was worth duly noting. (laughs) What do you got? Yeah, so um, I've been reading this book called The First Wife by Paulina Chizian. It was translated from Portuguese. Um, She is the first woman in Mozambique to publish a novel, or she was. This was not her first novel, but it's incredible. It's one of the best novels I've read in years. It's about a woman who is 20 years into a marriage with a man. Um, They're Christian. They have a monogamous relationship. And then she realizes, no, in fact, he, (laughs) he has other wives. And she meets these other girlfriends and wives. And It's interesting as a cultural um, dynamic because what she's talking about is there is a precedent in the village and in the country for men to have multiple wives, right? But they have been in a Christian marriage for 20 years. But the men in the village and in the town that know him say that he's justified in this. So it's like a totally heartbreaking novel of this woman's pain and suffering at learning that, in fact... You know, she's just the first wife. She's not the only wife. And and she goes out and she meets these other wives. And I don't think that I've ever read a novel that's full of this much pain and humor and beautifully written. And it's just, it's fascinating. You're the first, you're the first person on the show to ever duly note a novel, which is <laughs> probably overdue. What's it called again? The First Wife. Her last name is spelled C-H-I-Z-I-A-N-E. Duly noted. Okay, Sheila, this is the time on our program where we thank our second sponsor... <laughs> Frank and Oak. 
Uh, I'm wearing a Frank and Oak shirt right, right now. I like shopping on Frank and Oak's website. Is it is the only site I've ever bought clothes from actually because I had a block about buying clothes online. I tried it out with Frank and Oak. It was easy. The stuff fit well. The price is right. The style is right for me. They have men's and women's clothes right now. And the deal that I think people should pay attention to and take advantage of while they have it up is that you can get an outfit, a pair of pants, and a shirt for fifty nine bucks. That is usually a hundred bucks and up, up, up. So that's just a good deal and a good way of trying it up. And they're basically giving this stuff away because they are confident that if you try them out with this deal, you will use them in the future to buy more clothes, which is uh, true in my case. So go to frankandoak.com slash first dash time to take advantage of that offer or to check out their women's wear. There's a discount on their women's wear if that's what you're looking for. Check it out now. Okay, finally, Sheila, um, I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about we're in the final days of the Heritage Ministry. You might know they're doing a complete look at the whole Canadian culture, funding, everything, literature, film, CBC News, everything. They're looking at what role this government's going to play and how they're going to fund or not fund or what they're going to have to do with Canadian arts, culture, news, and beyond. If you're listening to this on Thursday, I think you've got like, it might be today is the last day. If you want to have a say on this, just go to their website and it is, I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's easy. It is a, a monster of a shitty website. But if you just Google heritage ministry consultation, you'll figure it out. You're a smart person. And uh, you can go to our website if you just want a direct link to it. And you can put in there whatever you want to say. But what I have been saying is that this is the chance to affect the CBC's mandate. And a lot of people agree with things I have to say about the CBC. A lot of people have different visions for it. I think one thing that most of us can get behind is like, wouldn't the CBC be great if it didn't have any fucking ads on it? And their website is, I think, just crippled with terrible pre-roll ads, ads on the banners. They're putting ads on everything now. And, and this, I think people really should look out for. They have kind of committed that anything new they do will have ads on it. And we all kind of know that everything in the future with media is going to be digital. So if you like Radio 1 in part or in whole because it doesn't have ads, you should know that that's very much in danger. As CBC digitizes, you can expect Radio 1 to start to have more and more advertising on it. And uh, this is the time where you could say, I don't want that, if that's uh, something you agree with. That is my piece on this. Are you at all paying attention to this whole kind of cultural consultation thing? No, I'm, I've been working on a book, so I'm not paying attention to it. I've you, been <laughs> you and I used to... Uh, in a little <laughs> bubble of my own book. I remember one of my first conversations with you at a party was we were uh, alienating everybody else there. by uh, We were in, in agreement that uh, the grant system is not good for writers and, and that uh, too many people spend too much time try, trying to appeal to uh, Canada Council or these various places when they should be trying to like focus on what they're writing and it makes people write different things than they would otherwise write. I don't know if I believe that. You anymore. did then and, uh, <laughs> and it endeared me to you. I don't know where you stand now. I mean, I've been helped by grants, especially when I was like in my mid twenties and that was really useful. And I, I, I don't think it changes the way people write, but it does change the fact that, I mean, people do have to spend a lot of time writing grants, which is a shame. Yeah. Writing grant applications rather. Maybe right. there should, be, I mean, I, I don't think it's an ideal process. But. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to get me in more trouble. <laughs> That's the idea. But um, good on you for not taking the bait. <laughs> okay, Sheila. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks. Thanks. 
that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. And I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Sheila, where can people heap praise upon you? Nowhere. I am off the internet. Is that true? Yes. Holy shit. I just need to focus. I, you know, you I need, need to focus. focus on the book. Okay. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I do have a website. <laughs> Where's your website? Sheila Hetty. That's H-E-T-I dot net. All right. Um, I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Canada Land is offered for free to community and campus radio stations across the country. That is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.